HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to Cutting the Curd. In today's piece, we honor and celebrate our dear friend and creator of this podcast, Anne Saxelby. A year ago, we lost Anne suddenly and tragically. I knew Anne as a good friend and was always two steps behind her, as a monger at a cheese shop, as a salesperson selling artisan cheeses, and now as the host of the beloved cheese podcast, Cutting the Curd. On behalf of the cheese community and the Heritage Radio Network, I would like to say, we will always miss Anne. It is with that sentiment, I feel privileged to share with you this very loving tribute produced by Harry Rosenblum. Thank you, and I hope this dedication gives you some peace and love in her remembrance. Whether or not you are a longtime listener to HRN or just started working your way through the archives, you will at some point, if you haven't already, come to hear Anne Saxelby. Anne was a huge part of HRN, the local food scene in New York City, and the American cheese community. She was a mother, a daughter, a wife, and a friend. Her passing in October of 2021 sent ripples through a vast network of people, and she is remembered for so much by so many. My name is Harry Rosenblum. I'm the host of Feast Your Ears and Time for Lunch here on HRN, and I considered Anne a friend. Whether she was dropping off an order of cheese for us at the Brooklyn Kitchen, or you were lucky enough to be invited over to dinner with her and Patrick Martins and their wonderful kids, Anne was a master of always being able to put down and pick up a conversation while there was so much going on around her. Between cooking, opening wine, answering the phone, helping her son or daughters to wash their hands or find an errant toy, Anne always managed to keep the conversation going. Whether it was about a cheese you couldn't remember the name of, or where you just got back from, she was both a teacher and a questioner. Interested in hearing about you and yours, as well as sharing what she was working on. And of course, there were always delicious things at the table. With a grace that seemed so easy, Anne was a host who made you feel like you were part of the family. I cherish my memories of her, and know that everyone who met her has theirs to cherish as well. This audio tribute will try to give you but a small look at Anne and her place on HRN, and we encourage you to listen to her on Cutting the Curd as well as the many shows on which she was a guest, and seek out her book, The New Rules of Cheese. 
Please contribute to her legacy by supporting and following the Anne Saxelby Legacy Fund, which provides month-long paid apprenticeships for young adults to live on sustainable farms, to work, learn, and be inspired to create change in their communities. Following in Anne's footsteps to lift up and champion the small food producers of the world, her focus was on American cheesemaking. What could yours be? Please donate at annsaxelbylegacyfund.org. I had heard about Ann Saxelby when she started her show, Cutting the Curd, at the Heritage Radio Network. I had heard a lot of great things about her before I ever met her. And I met her when she started dating Patrick Martins. And everything I heard about her was true. She was bright, funny, engaging, driven, empathetic. She made anybody she was talking to feel like they mattered. She really knew how to listen. And she was incredibly accomplished, but you'd never know it from talking to her. She never touted her accomplishments. She was incredibly humble, but she was incredibly accomplished. And I think it's best summed up by the fact that her incalculable loss was memorialized by an obituary in The Economist, in a place that's reserved generally for heads of state, you know, world leaders. And Anne was a world leader in a lot of ways, but she, I don't think she thought of herself that way. And she always acted locally first. She was a great mom. I think she's a great wife to Patrick. She was a great friend to anybody who was fortunate to meet her. And she was an amazing force of will. She was very persuasive, just like Patrick. They're very persuasive. I got to know them very well as a couple. And I got to know Anne very well as a person. And all I can say is that she will be enormously missed. And uh, she was loved by many, by anybody that met her, really. And she had the ability to change the world around her in a very humble and honest way. And we can wonder why she was taken from us at such a young age. And I just don't think there's a reason. I think that it's left for those of us who are still here to make the reason. And what I mean by that is try to do something that Anne would do and try to do it every day. Try to be kind to somebody. Try to give them your attention. Try to care about them. There's a lot of slack that we're going to need to pick up in the absence of Anne Saxelby. And I think that we all need to do our part. Greg Blaze and Diane Stemple took over for Anne hosting Cutting the Curd after Josie, her second child, was born, but Anne was a regular guest on the show. 
you know, timing is everything. I was in the right place at the right time, you know, and I happened to meet some really wonderful cheesemakers who were starting up just around the same time. Like I remember back in the day working at Murray's and Jasper Hill was just getting started, you know? And so Mateo and Andy would come in with their cheeses and, you know, I feel like, you know, it just kind of all happened like at at the same time. And I was really lucky to like be kind of at the crest of the wave at the right time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and be able to ride it. And you have your great personality, which helps everything i mean everyone likes you i mean you know you're you're ann saxelby well that's that's very nice of you to say i yeah i um on the edge would of would you tell us about the roots of saxelby cheesemongers you know and in, in your roots of uh cheesemongery well sure well i guess you know it goes back to college i went to nyu and i grew up in the midwest and so i wasn't really exposed to any interesting cheese really i remember that when we went to the grocery store as a kid if we got sliced white american from the deli you know not from the craft package that that was like fancy the slices are thicker they're thicker you know and they always gave us one to taste and that was always really exciting um but so when i moved to new york i kind of like you know learned about food in general like you know falafel was a very exotic entity and um all these new things. So I ended up, I traveled to visit a friend of mine who was studying abroad. What were you studying at NYU? I was studying art, studio art. So painting, drawing, sculpture, photo, the whole, the whole bit, just kind of dabbling in everything. And uh, when I went to visit this friend of mine who was studying in Florence, she took me to the Central Market there, which of course was like this mind-blowing experience. Yeah, it's and, crazy. You know, everything, just everything, the cheese, the cured meats, the breads, the dried fruit, the fresh produce. It was all so incredible. And I was kind of like, huh, you know, we have all this stuff at home, but none of it tastes as amazing as any of this stuff does. So what's, what have I been missing out on, you know? So when I came back to New York, somebody was like, oh, you've got to check out Murray's Cheese. They've got the best cheese in the city. And, you know, you can really learn about cheese there. So I started, like, going to Murray's as a student and uh, buying cheese there. And I would be that annoying customer that we all know now (laughs) who was buying, like, eight quarter pounds of things and tasting for, like, a half hour. So that was kind of my introduction to Murray's. And when I graduated from college with an art degree, I was like, a, you know, not very employable because I didn't want to be a professional artist. And I had worked in galleries and at museums and wasn't really... You didn't like the culture there? Yeah, no, it just wasn't really my tribe. You know, I felt like the art world was a little too highfalutin, a little too pretentious, a little too clubby, you know, and I just didn't ever really feel like... I fit in. So um, when I graduated, I went to Murray's and asked if I could have a job. And Amy Sisti, who was then the manager, who now works for Grafton Cheese, you know, she kind of was like very polite to me, like Amy always is. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. and but, you know, didn't really call me back or anything. So I went back like probably four times. And <laughs> I was like, listen, I was like, you know, I really don't know much about cheese, but I'm I'm really interested. And I think I could learn fast. And I remember she asked me, <laughs> she asked me if I had to pair piave with something what would i pair it with you know wine wise and i was like oh geez i don't know what piave is and so i just said like <laughs> i remember i said oh sauvignon blanc definitely which would be terrible not good <laughs> not good at all not a good thing. but i guess she was like well at least she's trying at you least know? she knows a, ch- a name of a wine a name of a wine <laughs> yeah 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 so anyways uh, from there you know I, I started working there three days a week i was working at a wine store the other three days a week and, and that was a good wine store it was a great wine Where'd store you work? yeah chamber street wine down in Tribeca. Sure. Yeah, those guys were great. So I feel like I just kind of stumbled into like this really awesome, you know, combo training. Yeah, cheese and wine combo training.
after a summer at Murray's, I, I went up to Cato Corner Farm for an internship. In Connecticut. In Connecticut, yeah. I had met them at the Green Market, and they you know, granted me this internship, even though, you know, again, I knew nothing about cheese. But they start a lot of people out, too. They, they do. They take a lot of people in and teach them how to make cheese there, I feel. Yeah, yeah. No, they've, they've got, for being just like a small mom-and-pop organization, they have a, a big staff, you know, and, and now even bigger than when I was there. But I feel like they're able to employ a lot of people and, and, and teach a lot of people about cheese. And so when I was there, you know, in the in the cheese room for the first day and kind of like, you know, start to finish, you know, you walk in at 730 in the morning or seven, whatever, with this fluid milk. And then you walk out, you know, eight hours later with these finished fresh wheels of cheese. It's an amazing t- process to be a part of. Yeah, it's such an amazing process. And to me, that process was akin to being in your studio making art. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you have your mm-hmm. raw materials, you have your means with which you transform them. Only with cheese, then the result was edible. I'm Bill Saxelby, Ian's dad. I'm an entrepreneur who also has had kind of a corporate background in terms of my business experience. Personally, we have three children, Anne, Megan, and Bill. The way I would describe Anne is she was a very high-energy child, always busy, always with something that she wanted to do, was not one that liked to sit around a lot. Anne also always had what I would call a very pleasant friendly disposition. She was just one of those children that always kind of had a smile on her face. And, uh, you know, you could kind of tell from an early on stage that she was probably always going to look at life with a glass half full as opposed to uh, half empty. She was very independent. I mean, exclamation point independent. She um, was the kind of person who could operate well on her own And my one quick example is I used to have a business in Malaysia and I took her with me on a trip to Japan and then on to Malaysia. And I had a meeting in in Tokyo where she was introduced to uh, an assistant of somebody that I was working with who was going to kind of take care of her for the day. And I'll never forget, you know, at age, let's see, 13 or probably no 14, she jumps on an escalator with this woman who she'd never met before, you know, just got introduced a couple minutes earlier, flew up that escalator with this woman to go see Tokyo, never turned around, never looked back, never waved goodbye. She was on her way. She got back at like eight o'clock at night and we must have sat up till two in the morning with her describing Everything she saw in Tokyo, everything from the shops to the subway to the people to the food. When Ann first went into fine art at NYU, I'll never forget she asked me if she should have a backup plan. You know, Dad, should I get a secondary degree in business just in case? And I said, you know, there's no reason for that. And I said, you know, this is your passion and love, meaning art. And you'll figure out whatever it is that you feel most comfortable with to make money. I said, you can always go back to business school if you want afterwards. But why don't you just focus on art? And Anne was always environmentally conscious, very concerned about food and kind of where the path of food was going from a commercial standpoint. I really challenged her and said, Anne, what else are you going to learn that you don't already know? And she kind of paused and said, you know, I don't think anything. Then I said, let's put a business plan together and let's go try this thing. And so we 
locked up one day in a Kinko's in Libertyville, Illinois for 14 hours and whiteboarded a business plan. And that's really ultimately how uh, Saxelby Cheesemongers was born. Hi, my name is Deborah Matner. I knew Anne for several years, but I was friends with her daughter, Josie, through my daughter. They've been friends since they were two. So I actually wasn't privy to her professional life at all. I was privy to her sort of the behind the scenes life. I spent so many afternoons hanging out with Josie and Max and then Reggie in their apartment. And Anne was sort of a a presence who would come and go. She uh, was always sort of biking off to her job. And I was just incredibly touched by her vivacity. Such a lively person and such a sweet person and with so much enthusiasm that was so infectious. I just wanted to add the way that she was like the sun lighting up her children's faces. Josie and Max and Reggie just adored their mom. I remember when Reggie was not quite walking, just learning to walk. And Anne, I just have this image in my mind of Anne holding her little hands and Reggie just, just so wanting to walk. She just wasn't quite there yet, but she was just looking in Anne's face and Anne was smiling at her. And encouraging her and just the, the, the looks on their two faces, just that love and that excitement for life that Anne was, was sort of feeding into Reggie and that, that Reggie was feeding back to her mom. Reggie, Josie and Max loved their mom so, so much. And I got to witness that love and I got to be a little bit a part of it just as like the mom of Josie's best friend, Miriam, whom they, they called Mariam. <laughs> and it was just sweet and wonderful. And she was a, a mom friend to me. She was a comrade in this crazy parent life. And I loved her and I miss her. Anne was seemingly nice to everyone. I don't think I ever heard a story about her yelling or being mean. This was an integral part of her success in the food industry. You have almost like uh, archetypes of customers, you know, yeah. and, and they range from like awesome to terrible. You know, you have like the great customers who read your email every week and come in and want to buy a pound of each thing that you wrote about, like no tastes, no nothing, you no know, questions, they're just, just no questions. They're just like, give me the good stuff. And and they're loyal and fun and great. And then you have on the opposite end of the spectrum, and I'm picturing one woman in particular. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't live in the neighborhood, actually. She teaches in the neighborhood and uses our shop as a place to kind of harass people while she's waiting for the M15 bus. One of the things that always makes me laugh is couples that come to the cheese counter who don't feel comfortable <laughs> ordering cheese together. It could be like the first time that they're doing this together to have a little it's dinner a, party or something. It's a pretty intimate act, ordering cheese together. Oh, it really is. And you, I, I guess maybe they're afraid they're going to divulge something to the other one that they shouldn't know. But, you know, it's like they'll be like, well, what, what do you want? And I don't know. What, 
what do you want? And, and then one will say, well, how about, you know, like a, a creamy cheese? And the other one's like, okay, that sure, yeah, uh-huh. And so you give them a taste of a creamy cheese, and then they withdraw from the counter to whisper to each other and have a <laughs> meeting about it that they don't tell you about. And then and you're just kind of like sitting there waiting, and, you know, and, and then they come back up to the counter, and they're like, well, that was pretty good, but, like, you know, what else do you have? And then you give it, you're oh like, okay, God. well, maybe if you, that wasn't quite your thing, then you try something like this and you give them a taste of something else and they withdraw again to discuss. But what's the right way to handle being at the cheese counter when you don't know a whole lot about what you're doing? Well, like I said, I think put your faith in your monger. You know, I feel like cheesemongers are by definition kind of nerdy in a good way, you know, and, and, and really excited about their product and, so I feel like if you just kind of ask people for the recommendation, of course, giving them information about what you like, you know, you should all come out pretty happy. Yeah. I feel like I, I do that wherever I go. I feel like, you know, that when I'm at a restaurant and I don't know, you know, what I want for, the, for wine, you know, it's normal to ask the sommelier. And I feel like most people feel comfortable with that kind of transaction. So why should it be different when you go to the cheese counter? I have a different favorite cheese every day. Today, my favorite cheese was queso del invierno, and it's been a while since that was my yeah. favorite cheese. I did a staff training this afternoon at a hotel, and we tasted a bunch of stuff, and that, that one, I was like, wow, that, that was, was so great. Yeah. I feel like in France, they get that a lot more. You know, it's like, uh, that's part of the transaction. You know, you go to the cheese counter, and the cheesemonger not only recommends a cheese for you, but then they recommend a specific piece of cheese for you. You know, yeah. they say, do you want to serve it tonight or tomorrow or in four days, you know, and then they'll pick the one that's going to be perfect, you know, for that moment in time. So I feel like we're evolving in that direction. In 2016, Anne reflected with Greg Blaise on 10 years of Saxelby Cheesemongers. Did you ever think you'd get to 10 years? I mean, I guess, I guess, yeah. I mean, only because like I had no plan B, you know, (laughs) I was kind of like, well, this is the only thing that I want to do. Like if this doesn't work out, I'm going to be screwed. There were like all the challenges. I feel like I was just like, you know, I was just me though behind the counter and I'm like very friendly and very persistent. And yeah. I feel like I would just like stand there and literally smile at every person that walked in the door. <laughs> and like, if they even like remotely made eye contact with me, I was like, Hey, you want to try some cheese? Sure. Like, come on over here. Sure. You know, you fed them. It was very funny. And like stark contrast to my business partner, Benoit, who's like very reserved in French. And, uh, you know, I remember like elbowing him like in the ribs, like the first couple of days and just being like, Hey, no, you just gotta like, yeah, you just gotta like talk to people and like, you know, d- just, just like, yeah, like foist yourself upon them and ask them if they want a sample of something. It's like why I really love cheese in general is just like education through taste. People don't have to know about how cheese is made or what are all the minutia that make it great, but you, just by tasting it, you can tell it's something special and awesome. So that we just kind of tried to educate through taste. How did Saxelby cheesemongers make cutting the curd? How did that happen? Well, so that's um, that's a funny story. So we're sitting in this little radio uh, shipping container here at Roberta's. Best place on earth. Best place on earth. So Heritage Radio started in 2009. And Patrick, my who's now my husband, started Heritage Radio Network. And he started with just like a handful of shows. He basically called all of his friends and was like, hey, I'm going to start this radio <laughs> station great. in the back of Roberta's. Like, you should come do a show. So at that time, um, Zach Palaccio had a show called Urban Foragers or something like that. And so he had both myself and Rhonda Cave, who owns Ronnie Sue's Chocolates in the Essex market. 
so we came we came out here one afternoon. And it was really funny because I remember it was a Wednesday, and it was like a really busy day at the shop because at that time we were doing wholesale and regular store stuff out of right the shop. Out of the little space. Yeah, and it was just like a nutty day. And I remember being in the car with Zach's girlfriend Jory and Rhonda, and I was like, "Why the hell am I coming out here?" I was like, "I'm so busy. I, I definitely can't do this." Um, but so then I was, and then I was like, and where the hell am I? Cause at that time, I mean, sure. yeah, Bushwick, I mean, it's still very industrial, but like even more so back, back then. Yeah. So you could actually be, get hurt around here. Yeah. 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 Totally. So we pulled up and I was just like, where are we going? What is this place? And we come in and we do the show and it was really fun. And of course, like I got not grumpy, like immediately. And I was like, this is so weird and cool. I love uh, it. And, um, Patrick, uh, just like happened to be coming by that day. And he was like, oh, he's like, well, you know, we really want to have a cheese show on, on the radio network. And I was like, yeah, right. Like thinking to myself, like, mm-hmm. like I definitely don't have time for that. And like, I'm an overcommitter and no way. Not you. But then what I said, of course, was sure. Yeah, let's go out for a beer and talk about it. And, you know, so there, there I was. I wound up with a radio show and a husband, you know. Nice. And now two kids. So, you Sweet. know. Cutting the curd, it was so fun. I remember my, my grandpa Ray really liked the name of the show. We were trying to come up with it's perfect with names, and he decided, yeah, he, he that was his favorite, so I went with his favorite. Yeah, it was also like a really fun way to stay connected, as I'm sure you think too. You know, it's like you, yes. you kind of keep educating yourself and you stay connected to the cheese community at large. I will just say Anne was somewhat unconventional as a mother. Um, and what I mean by that is that she really kind of believed, as did her husband, Patrick, that the children were a part of their complete lives. And so I found that Anne was able to start motherhood and still kind of continue to be what she wanted to be on a professional level. At one time, she told us that she was not going to have children. And then she and Patrick got married and she was so involved with her career. And the building of the business, you know, my wife and I said, well, you know, it's their call whether they decide to have children or they don't. Anne loved babies, and she did not like babies when she was growing up. So I I just, I found this is another part of the journey with Anne that was always so interesting to me. She hated the babysit. She never liked little children. She had these funny stories where she tried to be a nanny for a while in New York, and that didn't work because she just didn't have the patience for it. And then she has her own children. And I, I swear that the part of their upbringing that she almost loved the most, I think, was when they were babies, which was a kind of a classic Anne. I would have never thought that. But I think the key thing is she she both integrated the children, continued, you know, had the children, loved that part of her life and was able to continue to grow the business. And, you know, there was Max. And then about two years later, there came Josie. And then, you know, as a real surprise, Reggie came along, which was, you know, roughly what, four years, I guess, after after Josie. And that was really a surprise to us because we never, we never thought there'd be as many as three children in the family. And I was always impressed that she was able to keep the rest of her let's call it the world that a lot of people on this show probably are thinking about her professional life while she was also becoming, you know, just an incredible mom. And with a great partnership with Patrick, I have to add, she was relatively unflappable. 
you know, chaos could be all around her. And and she had this ability to just kind of calmly go, okay, you know, now I'll deal with this, now I'll deal with that. And her mother-in-law, Renee, always commented about her ability, especially with the children, to focus when it was really the most important. So while she was very busy, those children would get total focus for whatever period of time was required you know, whatever the situation was, and it was genuine. Since Anne's passing, a phoenix of sorts has risen to carry her torch, uplifting small producers and encouraging the next generation of folks to follow in her footsteps and get their feet wet and dirty and explore what it's like on a farm and in a community. The family was behind this, and my wife in particular, and working with Patrick to get this off the ground. Patrick's entrepreneurial approach to things, his vision and his leadership, that's what's made this a reality. He has worked tirelessly to get this moving to the degree that he has in such a short period of time. And so, number one, you know, significant kudos to him because without him, this this wouldn't exist. I think the fund, what, here's the silver lining for us. You know, it's devastating to lose a child. And when you're daughter is 40 years old, she's still your child. And then, of course, all the ramifications of her being the mom to Josie and Reggie and Max, wife to Patrick. So it's devastating. And what what's great, though, about the fund is it gives us something positive to focus on. And she and I were always kind of fond of the saying, you know, like this 10%, what happens to you and 90% how you respond. She would want us to respond appropriately. And and I think the fund is a great way to be able to put positive energy into what's really a bluntly a very shitty situation. One thing I came to learn after Ann passed and primarily with discussions with her friend, Alex Hammond, uh, as well as Patrick, is that she always had this vision for a food peace corps that this legacy fund gets an opportunity to also take her vision which is what she really lived and breathed i mean she loved producers and at the end of the day she she would fight for the small farmer the small producer regardless of what the pressure was so i think that the fund one gives us a chance to really focus energy in a positive way two it helps us to tell her story and tell her story helps us keep her alive in our thoughts and minds and hopefully that of all the folks that are listening to this. This concept of a food peace corps globally, I, I think, is a real potential. She was kind. She was very focused on people and their individual needs. And, and I guess maybe the last thing is it was genuine. It was not bullshit. It was genuine. Anne taught us about so much, about how to be a good customer, about how to be a good businesswoman, how to lift others up, how to be nice, and how to love her family. Thank you for listening to this audio tribute to Anne Saxelby. We are devastated here at Heritage Radio and miss Anne terribly, but we know that her legacy lives on in our archives, at Saxelby Cheesemongers, in the hearts and minds of so many people, and in the Anne Saxelby Legacy Fund.